Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Well, welcome everybody We are going to do uh, in five minutes, what my seminary professors couldn't do in 14 weeks. So you're going to have to buckle up a little bit. We're going to go through the first five books of the Bible in very, very quick, rapid uh, kind of fire succession. You'll notice inside your bulletin um, is a little more in-depth. It's kind of the in-depth to the in-depth. So Nathan and I did this thing on Thursday. Um, the inside your bulletin is another layer of a little bit more detail. Uh, so if you want to know more, if it piques your curiosity, jump in, let us know what's going on there. But I'm going to start with these first five books, known often as the Pentateuch. They, took, they tell the story from the beginning. Too much wind? I can turn my head a little bit too. All right, let's try this again. So they, the Pentateuch tells the story of the beginning of creation all the way until the death of Moses right before the people of God enter into the promised land. So this is a huge swath of history. Um, and I'm gonna invite you into a little bit of what's going on in those stories. So Genesis begins like any good movie does. You always need an opening credits where the world, um, the, the scene opens from pitch black and then you move into the story unfolding. So the scene comes to life. So this is kind of those first couple of stories beginning with God's good created order where word brings life from chaos. So God speaks, world comes into being, God moves, and so we get all of these components. I'm going to stand with my back to you guys. No offense. So, those wonderful kind of beginning things are word coming to life and meaning. Um, and then what comes and transpires from there is that God creates God's people for relationship with creation. So thinking about from dust, Adam... Adama is the word for dust. Adam is the word for the first created being. Dust and dust man, or we're dirt people. We're desi designed to be in relationship with God's creation. And then God says, well, that's kind of lonely, so we need to do some more. So we need to build a relationship between man and created beings, animals, birds, uh, life as we know it. And we also need a helper. So from man, ish, comes woman, isha. So I want to emphasize that as being a, a major part to start the story is we're created as God's people to be in relationship with one another, to be in conversation, to be in connection to one another. And from there, we spend the rest of the book of Genesis moving on through the rest of Scripture, really finding ways as human people to screw that all up. 
right? So everything goes south from there. And man, the first uh, recorded death in scripture comes from the story of Cain and Abel, and it's a story of the first homicide in scripture, where man does harm to another man. So think about that as a way of saying, oh, we've really kind of messed this picture up that God wanted us to have. Um, and then we get the story of Noah, where God gets really disappointed in God's creation and says, hey, wait a minute, this isn't the way that I created things to be. I'm going to send a flood to destroy the earth. And there's this story that goes back and forth of Adam's, or Noah saying, well, but there's good in the world. And so God says, well, my creation isn't worth destroying completely. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my hope in humanity. Uh, we get the story of Abraham and Sarah where God says, your descendants will be greater than the stars in heaven. And so it's this word of promise to Abraham and Sarah that moves throughout the rest of scripture. And that promise moves us into Exodus, where the Israelite people, the descendants of Abraham, are more numerous than imaginable. And the Pharaoh at the time becomes afraid that they're going to rise up against him. And so he puts them all into slavery. We get Moses, the story of the Exodus, and he says to Pharaoh, the famous words, Charlton Heston moment, let my people go. This uh, hopeful word to say that God's people are worth saving. Uh, but like no normal good things, when life goes perfectly well, people complain and they grumble. And so the Israelites wandering in the deserts, getting every good thing that they can imagine, food from heaven, water from God, quail eventually, um, say, well, you know, slavery is better than being in bondage, uh, being wandering in the wilderness where God provides everything, because at least there we got a steak every once in a while. Take that in. And then we move into the idea of Leviticus, the story of there are 613 commandments written in Leviticus that tell us how to live with each other. And Leviticus has got this kind of unique thing going on where well, how do you make things right between each other? But how do you make things right between God and you? And that's the idea that sacrifice becomes a major component of that story. Um, moving from there to the book of Numbers. Numbers is actually the story of two censuses. The first one being a census to say, how strong is Israel's army? How strong are these people wandering in the desert? Because they're going to need to defend themselves and conquer others to enter into God's promised land. So the first one is good. God goes with them. They do their thing. They're successful in battle. And yet what happens is their success leads to their complaining. And again, God's people complain and grumble against God. Well, why does it have to be this way? And God finally gets mad and says, well, just so you know, you as a people those that are complaining against me, you're never going to see the promised land. And so a census, second census is taken. And those are the people to make sure that census is so that um, the Israelites who complained against God don't enter into God's promised land. And so to make sure that they've all died off. And this is kind of this weird story within the book of Numbers um, is that God wants this new generation to enter into the promised story, the promised land that God has given them. And it ends with Deuteronomy, Moses' farewell address. Moses knows that he will not enter into the promised land, but he'll see what God is doing. Um, so Moses gets to see the promised land, 
but it'll never actually enter into that space. And so the book of Deuteronomy is Moses retelling the story of the people of God, what God has done, reminding them that God is good, despite sometimes your own complaining. And that is our story in a nutshell of where we are today in our five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. You, you made it, you survived. The reading today is from Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Day by day, God continued creating. Day two separated the sky and water. Day three separating the water and the land to give growth to the plants. Day four defining day and night along with the seasons of the year. Day five creating animals of land, water, and sky, all leading to the sixth day, the creation of humankind. God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seeds that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have them for food, and every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to every thing that creeps upon the earth everything that has the breath of life i have given every green plant for food and so and it was so god saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good and there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude on the seventh day god finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day for all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested for all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Well, so one of the things I've been thinking about in this last few weeks and month, really, as things start to get a little back to normal kind of post-pandemic as we enter this new world is uh, one word, new. Uh, so many things that I thought would maybe just snap back to what it used to be are turning out to be actually more on the new side than the familiar side. And I don't know, this probably shouldn't surprise me that much because I think that's really how a lot of parts of life are. For example, uh, I think one of the most profound things in my life where I see that is 
I have these three kids. Uh, my wife Annie and I, we had a baby, Ben, a year ago in May, and so he's one year old. And so there's all kinds of new stuff, which is really exciting. Like two weeks ago, he started walking. And so now our job and life is to chase him and keep him alive. Annie has a little coffee cup that says, Today's job, keep the baby humans alive. And then that's really uh, what it seems like is a full-time job because he's running everywhere now, climbing and doing all of that. And so we, we, we love it because we're excited that he's marking this milestone. We're also a little on edge because it's a little more work. But then there's another layer of it where it is even a little bittersweet because what it means is now we don't have so much a little baby who I need to carry around and get to rock and hold all the time, but we have more of a toddler. And I think that's a part of this new thing is that whenever we have something new, it ends up being a little bittersweet because sometimes we really liked the old thing. It doesn't mean the new thing isn't good. It just means that it's different. And sometimes we need to kind of name that and even grieve that newness a little bit. This is the word I've been thinking about, new. So picture it in your mind, N-E-W, new. And I've really been thinking about it a lot because we are in this kind of post-pandemic world, but also a couple of months ago, I heard a speaker who went to a conference in California, kind of. It was online. So he was in California. I was sitting on my computer. Uh, this presenter was a guy named Rob Bell, and he's a great writer and speaker. He used to be a, this like mega church pastor, and now he's kind of a public theologian, I guess you could say, where anyway, I just love the way he reflects on life and the Bible and this world around us. And so he did this talk where he did the history of the universe in four minutes. And I thought, wow, now I thought we were ambitious trying to do the whole Bible in six, six weeks. Here he did the entire history of the universe in four minutes. And so I've been thinking about that because he's focused it all on this idea of new. And so I want to share a little bit with you this history of the universe. This is really from Rob Bell. Uh, we heard the story of creation from the Bible this morning that Audrey read so wonderfully. Uh, and so we heard that. But science tells that same story of how the universe came to be in, of course, a more scientific way, with more scientific language and numbers and details that the creation story doesn't use, just like the creation story is more poetic and uses language that science doesn't really use. And so both, I think, have their place and tell the same story, ultimately. And so scientists believe that the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Just picture that, 13.8 billion years old. This is really old. And I love that they decided 13.8. There's general agreement and consensus on this. Like not 14, can't round up. It's 13.8 billion years old. You got to be precise here. And so 13.8 billion years, science says that's when the big bang happened. If we go by our biblical scriptural tradition, we say that's when God said, and let there be, and let there be. And God speaks into creation and creation happens. And so whatever, how that ever came to be, 13.8 billion years ago, all of a sudden there was. There was a was, there was an is, and there was particles. The particles were the first thing scientists believed believe we're a part of that. And so then what scientists say happened next is really interesting. It was only three minutes in to the creation of the universe that these particles started connecting with one another, bumping into each other, joining to one another. And these particles, rather than just forming clumps of particles, they became atoms. 
So the particles join together and become atoms. Now, this is where I put out the disclaimer that one, I am not a scientist, and two, I am really grossly simplifying this probably. So don't hold that against me, but it is true uh, as far as I know it. And so what happened is these particles join together and form atoms, but the interesting thing that happened was when they formed together, it wasn't just a clump of particles, but it became an atom which had totally different properties and characteristics than the particles before them. So it wasn't like you put the particles together, one plus one equals two, but when you add those particles together, they become atoms, and so it's more like one plus one equals like 17. Like it's a whole different formula. Scientists call that emergent holism. Emergent holism is this idea that when you combine like things together, then they become something extraordinary and different with some similar qualities, but also some different and new qualities. It's like that basketball team that wins a state championship where no one on the team is like a Michael Jordan all-star. And yet when you put those five players together, like, they're amazing. They play well together. They win the championship. Five, one plus one plus one plus one plus one doesn't equal five. It ends up equaling like 25. And so they're this amazing team. Another way of thinking of it would be like the Beatles, right? These four guys who they're pretty good musicians. Uh, maybe they could have each made it on their own, but put them together and they took the world by storm. One plus one plus one plus one Beatle equal something amazing, you know? And so that's what we see in emergent holism is you put these particles together, they form atoms, and then those atoms started bumping together. And it was about 300,000 years into this creation of the universe that the particles start forming the atoms, the atoms start forming molecules. And so fast forward again, nine million years now in, those molecules have formed together and start forming cells. And so again, this process repeats itself. Like connects with light, with like. Like creates with like and creates something new that the universe has never seen. And so this cellular life starts forming together. The, the, the cells start to form together and form systems. And these cellular systems finally form organic life. And organic starting with single, uh, you know, single uh, cell organisms, but ultimately getting more complex until about 13 billion years into the creation of the universe, you have creatures. You have creatures uh, in the sky, creatures in the water, creatures on land, and then you get to 13.8 billion years into this creation, and you have us looking back at 13.8 billion years of creation. What carries through this whole story is that new is the heartbeat of creation. Every step along the way, the universe is creating something new, taking like and like, joining them together to not just make more of what has been, but to create something new, which means for us, life is very good because there's all this new, but it also means life can be kind of messy sometimes because there's all this new, new all the time. So uh, one way of thinking about it, kind of an interesting fun science fact is during this service, during this time that we are gathered here together, about 300 million cells in your body will die. We'll have a little funeral, you'll bless your soul. Uh, uh, 300 million cells, they're gone. But the good news is in that, 
another 300 million, give or take, will be created. So you got some new creation happening just while we're here. Uh, the way that formula and math ends up is that about every seven years, your body recreates every cell. It takes about every seven years. So if I met you seven years ago and then didn't see you and then met you seven years later today, you would be an entirely new person, completely, literally new cellular being, uh, with the exception of a few neurons that kind of carry through. We're created new all the time, day in and day out. New is the way of the universe. And so in our lives, when we start to try to fight against that newness, when we try to go back to some kind of good old days, you know, we maybe get reminiscing about all oh, the good old days when this, we can get drawn in. Maybe we think, well, gosh, you know, maybe we can go back to those good old days. Maybe we can just go back to something that has been, but we know we can't. And then we kind of get frustrated that, man, you know, this just isn't the way it used to be. And we, we mourn that. And grieving that is maybe okay, but fighting against it means that you're fighting against 13.8 billion years of the universe only knowing how to move in one direction, which is forward and new. When I think about our kids, you know, I mentioned this idea that I, I would sure love to hold any one of our three little babies again and to rock them. And I can think about that and remember those good days. And that's really good and, and, and wonderful. But if all that I think about is that I just wish they were babies, well, then I would really miss out on a pretty awesome seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. Because that's the life that's happening right now, which is the life that God wants, to wants us to embrace and to bless us with, is with the life that's happening right now. Uh, the story that Jeremy alluded to in the Pentateuch from the book of Exodus is one of my favorite examples of this from the Bible, where uh, the good people of Israel, they start reminiscing about the good old days, how Moses has led them out of slavery in Egypt, and uh, they, they, they got to be gone, and they think, oh, yes, Moses, thank you, we're free, this is wonderful. And then God starts raining down manna from heaven that they eat every day, and they say, yes, thank you, this is wonderful. And then a few weeks in, they say, oh, manna again, huh? Manna again. Okay, well, you know, and so they start thinking about, man, you know what my favorite meal ever was? And all of a sudden, they're reminiscing about the good old days in slavery in Egypt when at least every once in a while, they got to have a steak or some barbecue chicken. I mean, come on, like these are the good old days. And so Moses, their leader, has to kind of shake them and say, no, y'all, like this is one, that was slavery. This was not good. That was not good. Even if there were some good little pieces. And in fact, what God is doing right now is leading us to this promised land full of milk and honey, right? The promised land is going to be way better than anything you can imagine. Not only better than anything back in Egypt, Egypt, but better than anything your ancestors could ever imagine. God is leading us to a now and a future that is better than we could have ever imagined. And then God says, oh, by the way, at least you can have some quail. Here, we'll send quail into the, into the fields. You can go have some, you know, that's like chicken again, at least, you know? So God meets their frustrations and their longings for the past with some goodness and some blessing that surprises even them that they didn't think was even possible. Because new is the heartbeat of creation. It makes life really good 
But it does make it messy sometimes because sometimes those new things that are happening, I'm not naive enough to say that every good, th- every new thing that happens is good because we all don't have to think very hard to think of new things that aren't very good. You think about a cancer diagnosis, that's new. Think about getting laid off or fired from a job, that's new, but again, not very good. But what new does is even in those most difficult times in life, the times where we're really just in the midst of hardship, new is the promise that there is more to come. That what we're experiencing right now is not it. And so the promise of new, this force of the universe and all creation, is that whatever you're experiencing that's, that's really hard right now is not the end of all things. That there is something more, something new and better to come. And so, you know, uh, we get to call that a lot of different things. Uh, it gets called a lot of different things. And it's the examples are, you know, we think about cancer, but then there's also the new treatments and new cures hopefully coming down the line that that are the newness of it. You know, you can get fired from that job and then all of a sudden you end up finding another job that's better than you could have ever imagined and you couldn't have even, you know, guessed that you could be as happy in a job as that and then you never would have even went looking for it if that past thing hadn't happened. New is that thing that keeps us moving forward. Hope itself is a new idea. Hope itself is the promise that whatever you're going through right now is not the end because new is always heading forward. When we screw up and need a second chance, we usually get one. Life isn't usually one and done. Instead, we get second chances. And so a second chance, that is newness. Sometimes we wrong other people and hurt them or they hurt us, and that's where forgiveness comes in. And forgiveness is that newness in action. It's practicing newness and sharing it. God's love and forgiveness comes to us as grace, and grace is absolutely the newness incarnate. And so just like new is the heartbeat of creation, it takes the shape of hope and second chances and forgiveness and grace. And so those forces are also carrying us forward always because they're wrapped up in this idea of new. So what I can say is I don't know exactly what new God has in store for you in this post-pandemic world, in store for me, in store for us as a church. I don't know exactly but I think that we should meet it and meet it together. I think we should meet it trusting in God's grace, that that grace is the newness that God is leading us to. Trusting in God's grace as a church, it means being this joyful, accepting community God has called us to be because our God is a God of newness. New is the heartbeat of creation. It makes life really good, messy sometimes, but really good. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money. Don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.